0: Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. I'm reading out the New Living Translation. It says this, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your wonderful and powerful word. Uh, we just ask that you would, Lord, consecrate this time, uh, our hearts, our lives, our minds, uh our ears this evening, Lord God, to, to receive all that it is that you uh, have for each and every one of us. Lord, give us fresh revelation. Open up our eyes to see the wonderful truths of your word. Open up our minds and our hearts to understand uh, the depth. And, and, and most importantly, Lord, give us the grace to apply and to live out Lord, what it is that we hear uh, tonight as we, we, we move forward out of here. Uh, may our faith increase in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. I want to break down these few verses tonight. I want to start off, I'm going to just hit on the first two verses and then we're going to continue on. I really want to, the chunk of the message is going to be that that second part of verse 12. Uh, But the first part, as it says, for the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. That is good news right there. Bringing salvation to all people. Let me just say this real quick. I just feel like I need to say this. You know, there's some that believe that have doctrine that uh, God's salvation is for um, certain people, for the elect, so to speak. Scriptures like this make it very clear that salvation is for all people. Whomsoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, right? Right. God wished that no man should perish, but all would come. So I just read that scripture and I was just thinking about, again, me and Pastor Kelly. I love it. Iron sharpens iron. It's conversation that we had just recently, again, that salvation is available for all. Even if you think that your your, your neighbor, your coworker, um, or, or your, your spouse is impossible to be saved, salvation is available for them. Amen? The grace of God has been revealed. We are saved by grace through faith. Most of us know that. So the second part, it says in verse 12, and let me go to the second verse, verse 12 says, and we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We are to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. Once again, we don't ever want to get into the trap of thinking that because of God's grace that has been revealed, as we read in verse 11, that, you know, God is merciful. His mercies are brand new every morning. So you know what? If I walk out of here, I could basically do what I want, and I know God's going to forgive me. We don't ever want to fall into that mindset, okay? And some people have that mindset. When I first got saved, given this guy wasn't, he wasn't a Christian, but I just got saved and there was something that the Lord immediately convicted me of that I needed to get out of my life. And when I told the guy that like, man, I need to cut this off. I need to stop. He said, well, man, you, I mean, you could probably really go do that. Just ask God for forgiveness after. I was like, I was saved maybe a week, two weeks. I'm like, I didn't know nothing about the Bible, but I was like, that don't sound right. I don't think that's how it works, right? Are y'all with me? The Bible makes it clear we must turn from godless uh, living and sinful pleasures. This past Sunday and the Sunday before, we talked about sin. Pastor Todd talked about the blatant sin of the prodigal. I talked about the unseen sin of the older brother. So I just wanted to hit on that. I do want to say, and I'm going to talk about the other side of of righteousness, as I mentioned. But, uh, but before we move on, look at this scripture right here. Matthew 3, 8 says this, Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. All of us in this day and age, whenever we hear somebody tell us something, it's like, well, man, how do you know it? Man, prove it. Can you prove it to me? So guess what? A lot of times, especially lost people, they want to see the proof that our God is real. Are y'all following me? They want the proof. Well, don't I mean, okay, I hear about God, but prove by the way that you live, that you've repented of your sins and, and turned to God. Repentant means to turn away and that you turn to God. So the Bible makes it clear the way that we live should prove that we've turned to God. And, I, and I'm going to get into that in more detail. So that's just the introduction to setting all this up. So tonight I want to talk to y'all and lay in that groundwork. Tonight I want to talk to y'all about living holy in this evil world. Living holy in this evil world. Why, why this title? Why did I pick this title? Living holy in the evil world. Well, first of all, because the the because of the, the the second scripture I just read, and the word holy ultimately means to be set apart, right? The word holy means to be set apart. Like I heard Brother Francis say many years. Like uh, a lot of y'all growing up, your 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 mom, she had maybe a, a holy room in her house, or like some holy utensils and plates, right? Right. They were holy. They were set apart for like Christmas or something. Or they were set apart. I can remember growing up and had a friend of mine that his mom uh, in the bathroom. She had it all decorated. She had some holy soap. I remember going in there one time and I went to use the soap. He said, no, no, dude, don't use that soap. I'm like, why not? He's like, that soap's not to wash your hands. It's just for show. And I was like, really? And it's in the bathroom right by the sink. That blew my mind. I'm like, I'm glad you told me because I would have easily used the soap. No, man, you got to use this soap. That was holy soap. It was set apart to just look at, right? So that's what holy means. It means to be set apart. Now going back, why I named it living this holy in this evil world? and This is going to begin to make more sense as I continue. Leviticus 27, 28 said, says, however, anything specifically set apart for the Lord, whether a person, an animal, or family property, must never be sold or bought back. Anything devoted in this way has been set apart as holy, and it belongs to the Lord. If you're saved, if you're born again, the Bible says you don't belong to yourself. You've been bought with a high price. You belong to the Lord. So once again, if we belong to the Lord, we must live, sell apart in this evil world. Amen. And then that's how it, uh, Paul continues to break that down. So, um, So let's read the second part of verse 12 again. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. In the Greco-Roman writings, these three virtues represent a virtuous conduct in general, even to the Cretes. He was was writing uh, to Titus in the Cretes at the time, the Cretans, and he was writing to them. In in this time, in general, they believed that these were virtuous uh, uh, conduct. Paul is encouraging us to bring these virtues to life. A virtuous life derives only from the appearance of God's grace in Christ Jesus. So I want to make this clear before we go any further. These three, and these are the three things, and really four things that I want to hone in on. But remember, these four things only come about through God's grace. We cannot try to live, for example, righteous in our own, remember? And also, let me reference my message again Sunday. I talked about how we don't have to perform To get our father's approval. Amen. So I want to make it clear before I go any further because as we talk about, we do need to live in a way that shows we've been saved. We do need to live with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God, right? But once again, this doesn't have our, this doesn't have anything to do with our standing of God's pleas if he loves us or that kind of stuff. Okay. Are we clear with that? So as we get in that, the Bible doesn't structure though in these evil world, it says it in this, in this evil world to live this way. So let's, let's start breaking these down. Let's look a little closer at these few things. Number one, live with wisdom. Paul encourages Titus to live with wisdom. In verse 12, we should live in this evil world with wisdom. In Greek, this is, this is uh, actually means the wisdom of God. We should live with the wisdom of God. Do you know what wisdom is in a, in a pretty simple term? Wisdom is making the right decision at the opportune time. Let me say that again. Wisdom is making the right decision at the opportune time. That's what that's what wisdom is. Godly wisdom is is when you know uh, we we ask the Lord to show us what to do, how to do it, when to do it. When you get that, that's wisdom. The wisdom of God. To, to, you ever have like, man, I got to make a decision. I got to make it like by tomorrow. Anybody ever had that pressure? I got to make it to move to where to go, where to do, what to, you know, whatever it may be. You might be sitting across in ministry. Often we're praying for God's wisdom right on the spot. As somebody comes in for counseling, we have no idea what they're about to tell us. And as they're talking, we're like, Lord, give me your wisdom. Give me your wisdom on how, I, Lord, I don't know what to do here. I need your wisdom, how to respond. That's what we talking about, living with wisdom. James 1, 5, and 6. And as I thought about what I just said, I looked at the scripture in a whole new light. If you need wisdom, Ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. So I've often preached that and talked about that, that just wisdom in general. But listen, do you ask God for wisdom throughout the day on a daily basis? Are you asking God when a situation comes up or just in anything, like, give me wisdom here. What should I do here? Like in the little decisions. I'm not necessarily saying like, Lord, give me wisdom on which shirt to wear, you know, but well, for some people, they might need to ask God for wisdom on that, too, as I think about it. That's a whole nother topic. And uh, but, you know, through throughout throughout your day. And I'm just once again, I'm just uh, often we preach something we're walking through. I've just recently been stirred up by another man, of God to begin to do this on on a more regular basis. Lord, what do you want to do today? What do you want to do in here tonight? What do you want to do in my marriage? How? how what do you want to do in this situation? So. If you need wisdom, not just in general, like, man, I, you know, because we tell, man, this guy got wisdom. He got, like, Brother Francis Bork and, and other elders in the church, Brother Francis Martin time, These guys, they just, they have wisdom. You get around them, it's just like they ooze wisdom out, you know. And it's just like, but but I'm talking about the wisdom you need on a day-to-day, hour-by-hour moment-by-moment basis. Are are you tracking with me? I'm looking at this in a different way. Ask God for for wisdom and how we should live on a regular basis in these decisions, and he will give it to you. Our gracious God, James said. He's not going to be mad. He's not going to be like, you're asking me for wisdom again? Come on, man. You asked me for it 12 times yesterday. No, it says he's not going to rebuke you for it, right? I mean, because that's what we do as earthly fathers. Whenever, hey, dad, can I play the iPad? Dad, can I play other? No, stop asking me, right? That's what we do. Or is it just me? Am I? Come on, y'all! Why y'all always leave me hanging out to dry, right? I'm not <laughs> no, but we do that. If our, our our kids are like always, you know, asking us, look, even Bella's smiling, like, yeah, I, I do that, you know. So, so he's not like that. He's not going to ask us. I mean, he's not going to rebuke us for us. He's not going to get aggravated, mad with us. Also, once again, if you look at it, it's, it's really cool. Also, not only does wisdom mean that in the King James version, it says to live soberly, to live in a sober way, and actually. Another part of wisdom and to live soberly means to live with self-control. So that's another way that that means. In the King James, it says to live soberly, live with self-control. So once again, that takes wisdom. But once again, it's by the grace, as we talked about. This All three of these virtues are only possible through the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We know self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Last but definitely not least, on the fruits of the Spirit. So in the first part, living with wisdom, ask God moment by moment. Don't think of it in general. Moment by moment, tomorrow, tonight, as you go home, ask God for wisdom. What should I do? How should I, when somebody responds to you, how should I handle that? How, how, Lord, show me how to handle this. I want to knock them out, but what do you want me to do? If you're a lady, maybe it's I want to scratch their eyes out. But what do you want me to do, Lord? Right? Self control. Look, I got a couple of honest people in the house. You're right. We all come on. Y'all, y'all, y'all too holy for me tonight. Right? We all have that. That thought comes up, but it's like, no, Lord. What do What do you want me? Thank you, Sister Regina. We do. You know. So let's ask God for wisdom in self control in every area, whatever they may be. Okay. Number one. Number two. Live. And live with righteousness. Live with righteousness. That's why I passed over that one earlier in Psalms because I knew I would hit it a good bit. This is probably my longest point in the whole message. Right smack dab in the middle. Live with righteousness. Verse 12 says, we should live in this evil world with wisdom and righteousness. Now, there are two different meanings in the Greek word, for the Greek word righteousness in the New Testament. I was just looking them up before I came up. There's two different words. The first is the state of being in proper relationship with God. This, is, this only comes through Christ. This is what I was talking about again Sunday on the part that you don't have to perform for your father. When the Bible says right here, Romans 3.22, it says this righteousness, like this kind of righteousness from God comes through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. So see that 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 meaning of righteousness means that we're in right standing. Matter of fact, the New Living Translation says it like this. We are made right with God by faith in Christ. So that's the first meaning of righteousness. I can remember you know, getting caught up when I first got saved. Some of y'all might've heard this because uh, actually one of my good friends, uh, one of my best friends even today, I was working for him whenever I got saved and then he was really giving me a hard time. And he said that he he thought I said something that was politically incorrect. And so he started drilling me and he's like, Brandon, you, you consider yourself a righteous man? You consider yourself a righteous man? And I was all, I mean, just really young enough. I was like, yeah. I, I hope, I, I try, I think. You know, I was like, you know, and then I told somebody later, like, man, this guy was drilling me today. Asked me if I thought I was righteous. And he said, well, you are righteous. And I'm like, "Why? Well, you know? You don't see me all the time. I mess up. And he's like, no, man, you're the righteousness of God in Christ. You're in right standing with God because of your faith in Christ. So that's one meaning. We see that right there. Uh, but the other meaning specifically in Timothy, like the, the King James says it, live righteously. That's a different meaning of righteousness. That actually has a different meaning. This meaning is the act of doing what is in agreement with God's standards. The act of doing what's in agreement to God's standards. Now, obviously, we know the Bible says we've all sinned and fall short of God's glory standard. We're never going to 100% of the time like, I'm living righteously, y'all. Listen, the last month, I've nailed it. Righteousness to the T. I mean, 100%. I mean, I got it. This thing, I got this thing licked. I'm about to patent righteousness because I got it. We're never going to hit that mark, right? But that's the goal, right? Like they say, you, you got to have goals. If you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. The goal, what Paul is encouraging Titus, encouraging us, is to live righteously, to live in a righteous way. Look what it says in in uh, in Titus once again, because the way we live determines not only to God, but others how 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 sincerely our born-again experience is. Look at Titus one seventeen. Listen to this. Such people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way that they live. Let me read that again. Such people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way that they live. How many of y'all know Paul was not secret sensitive Look at this next line. They are detestable and disobedient and worthless for doing anything good. Tell us how you really feel, Paul, right? You see, we know, I think, I don't know what the stats are now, the percentage of Christians in America. But how many people in America say, I'm a Christian, I know God. But look at the state of our country. Again, I don't mean to keep on getting on this thing, but the the scripture is so true. People say, oh, yeah, I know God, I know God. Yeah, I'm a Christian. But they deny him. The Bible says, "By the way that they live, that tells us that that as Pauls encourages, we must live righteously. Turn away where we start. Turn away from our 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 our, our God, our, our worldly deeds, our, our fleshly uh, uh, sinful desires, and desire to live a godly life. And once again, this comes through the grace and the power of God. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, are we able to live righteous? Once again, God would not tell us to do something that would be impossible. He would not tell us to do something that would be taunting us like, oh, yeah, you know, uh, you live this way. Ah, ha, ha, you messed up again. No, the Lord wants us to walk and to be challenged and in the way that we live. Amen. Each and every day. And like I say, it could be going back just to reference, kind of staying in the vein of the series. It can be a, a blatant sin like the prodigal or an unseen sin. Uh, like the like the older brother, something that you don't know is there, but, but it's been revealed. So that's number two. Number three is living in devotion to God, which just piggybacks off of righteousness. Living in devotion to God. That was the third thing it says, to live in this evil world with wisdom, with righteousness, and in devotion to God. Um, if you look at, if you read, Brother Francis just brought this to my attention here recently. Uh, it's amazing how the culture influences everything, Right. So if you look like me for years I've had the um the dictionary.com uh, app on your phone how many of y'all have that app or maybe look at dictionary.com on your or your computer and I've used that for years I particularly like the the app because you can you know press the little speaker button and it tells you how to pronounce the word and for those that know me that's very helpful for me <laughs> that I can pronounce words better I need all the help I can get but as I was sitting with Brother Francis, Brother Francis Martin at his house one day, he was telling me about this. He said, man, you got to look at like the Noah Webster Dictionary of 1828, because he was writing from biblical times. I'll give you a quick example. This is just a little F- FYI. Like, for example, Jesus tells us to be meek, right? We know a lot of us heard, no, meekness does not mean weakness. That was, was Jesus a weak man? Not at all. He was very, very strong, very, was Moses a, meek man, a weak man? Was he weak? Moses, from what we can read, no. He was extremely strong. He would take on like millions of people at a time, you know, the Israelites. And they said he was the meekest man ever uh, walked the earth. So in in, in the Webster Dictionary, it talks about the biblical definition of meekness. He was just showing me an example. He said, now look up meekness on your dictionary you got on your phone. I looked up meekness, and it meant passive, weak, and spineless. That was the definition of meekness in today's dictionary. So just a little, that's just a little, that's a freebie. That's a side, a side note that if you want to look at biblical definitions of words in those times, this is one dictionary, Noah's Webster, 1828. And the definition in this dictionary, according to the Bible, devotion is the state of being dedicated, consecrated, or solemnly set apart for a particular purpose. See, I, we kind of have the connotation that I'm devoted to God and usually let me just ask, well, let me pull you. Let me see if you think like I think. When you think of devoted, what's one of the first words that come that's the same? Devoted or what? Loyalty? Oh, that's actually a good That's a good one. Commitment. That's actually the word I was looking for. A lot of times we think, that was really good, by the way, loyalty. But it's like we think devoted, I'm devoted, I'm committed to God. But that meaning devotion to God goes way de- deeper. It's once again, you remember, that's why I named it, living holy in the evil world. Devotion is the state of being dedicated, consecrated, and solemnly set apart for a particular purpose. When the Bible talks about men of God in the Old Testament, I'm going to show you this. They they highlight their devotion to God. Like, for example, in Second Chronicles, uh, it speaks of both King Josiah and King Hezekiah. And when it, it finished laying out like their acts, and both these kings did some Great things for the Lord, especially uh, Josiah. I encourage you to read through First and Second Chronicles in First and Second Kings. Awesome stories in there. And you see how Josiah was a young king, came in, totally turned the country back to God. And in both of those cases in Second Chronicles, and this is what it says. It says the rest of his acts of devotion are recorded. And then it says like in this book and another book of the kings. You know, so the last thing they said about a king was about his devotion to the Lord. Isn't that powerful? It wasn't about his, his political, you can read, that's a quote. It wasn't about his political achievements, the, the people he killed. He talked about all the things he did for the Lord. The rest of his devotion, the rest of his his uh, his acts of devotion are recorded. So we look at devotion as being consecrated, set apart. It's in Psalm 86, two, uh, two ways that David said he was devoted was by serving and trusting the Lord. One of the ways you can see you can you can give yourself a test of your if you're devoted to the Lord is how you're trusting him. One, how you're serving him, and and what is your trust level? Are you trusting the Lord? That's how David said, "Look, I'm devoted to God." He says that in eighty six two. I'm devoted to God, and he goes on to say by serving and trusting him. Now, this is one of my favorite stories. I love this. It's another king called his name's King Jehu in in Second Kings. This was the king that came in right after. As a matter of fact, it's almost like God used him to really. To, to bring in the new age of, uh, the new era of godliness back to Israel. King Jehu came in right after uh, Jezebel died, King Ahab. Y'all all familiar with Jezebel? Jezebel, King Ahab, godless, you know, pagan king and 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 woman that was controlling. We even know it. it there's been a spirit named after, <laughs> a demonic spirit named after this woman, a Jezebel spirit, real controlling, real, all this kind of stuff. So Jehu comes in and their, their dynasty starts going down. Elijah had prophesied earlier that all of their, their uh, that King um, Ahab's sons would be slaughtered and the Lord used this king to do so. But check this out. So as he starts going on his godly campaign to purge Israel of all these pagans and all the idolatry and all the, the immorality, um, at one time, he meets up with this guy. He meets up with a guy along the road. Now, listen to this. 2 Kings 10, 16, it says, Then Jehu said, Now come with me and see how devoted I am to the Lord. So, Jonah, Abinadab rode along with him. So, he says, Come, see how devoted I am to the Lord. Now, today we talk about doing daily devotions, and those are good, Right? We got to have. It's good to have daily devotions, right? Reading our Bible, praying. I, I I I I strive to do that every morning on a daily basis. But look at the way he showed that he was devoted to God. Devotion moves past that. We got to start there: at prayer, reading, worshiping, other things, trusting, serving God. But look at another definition are a biblical picture of what it means to be devoted to God. 2 Kings 10.25, when he told this guy, hey, I'm going to show you how devoted I am. They went into the, the prophet. You can put that down for a second. They went into the, the, the priest just to set this up. They went into the temple of Baal. They were all of, most of Israel was doing Baal worship at the time. Not all, but most of Israel was doing Baal worship. So Jehu actually set them up. He said, Hey, all the, all the worshipers of Baal, y'all come to the temple and we're going to sacrifice this big sacrifice to Baal. Okay. We're going to worship the God you've been worshiping. And all of them like, yay, worship time. And they run into the temple. They, and, and King Jehu starts sacrificing what they think is a sacrifice. Un, to Baal. And look, we're going we're gonna to pick up the story. 2 Kings 10.25 says, As soon as Jehu had finished sacrificing the burnt offering, he commanded his guards and officers, go in and kill all of them. Don't let a single one escape. So they killed them all with their swords and the guards of the officers dragged their bodies outside. Then Jehu's men went into the innermost fortress of the temple of Baal. They dragged out the sacred pillar used in worship of Baal and burned it. So they killed all the prophets of Baal and they started smashing the temple. This is my favorite part in all of it. Verse 27 says, they smashed the sacred pillar and wrecked the temple of Baal, converting it into a public toilet as it remains to this day. Amen? That's devotion. Yes, come on, Pastor Kelly. That's devotion right there. Amen? He said, see how devoted I am to the Lord. And, and his devotion meant, I, you know what, I'm going to purge the evil from Israel. So, okay, now obviously we can't do that kind of devotion in our day, right? I want to make that clear. Paul, <laughs> Paul says everything is, these are types, these are shadows, they're examples for us in the New Testament. Look at your own life. What, what things in your life do you need to purge because of your devotion to God? There might be some idols in your life you need to smash. There might be some some immorality in your life that you need to to get rid of. There might be some areas in your life that need to be turned into a, a a wasteland, so to speak. Amen. So you look at that in our own life. If we're devoted, look, we should be willing to get rid of anything that causes sin in our life, so we can be totally and wholeheartedly surrendered and devoted to God. Amen. So that's part of devotion is serving God, trusting God, seeking God, all that stuff, but also purging our own lives. Look inward. Don't look at, well, man, yeah, the White House needs to be purged. Yeah, Well, I agree with that, but let's look inward, amen? What needs to be purged? What kind of things need to be wrecked in our lives? And you ask the Holy Spirit, and he'll take the wrecking ball to it. He'll begin to show you, and he's like, okay, yeah, here's... Here's the heavy machinery. I'll come in as long as soon as you're ready. I'll come in and we'll start cleaning house. Amen. Just as Jehu did in that time, and then he he you know he took over and 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 you know it it said that he purged the whole Israel of all of Baal worship. And then one more thing about devotion. It's interesting that Jesus uses this word as well in Matthew six twenty six and Luke sixteen thirteen identical verses. It says this: No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one. And despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Amen. Whether it's money, your job. Some people are totally devoted to your job. And that's good. You got to be. You want to be a good worker. You want to be loyal. You want to be faithful. All that kind of stuff. But that can't be the only thing that you are devoted to. Amen. We got to make a living. We got to pay bills. That's just an example. Jesus said you can't be devoted to two things. It can't happen. Your whole heart. Even if you, you married. I'm married to my wife. I'm committed. I'm devoted to her but I have to be devoted to the Lord first and foremost. Amen. Above anything else, it has to be to, you know, my marriage is not my master. Jesus is, right? My money is not my master. Jesus is. That's. It goes back to what I was saying here earlier. Who's the supreme master of your life? Is it you? Is it your work? Is it your wife? Is it your spouse? Is it your hobby? Or is it King Jesus? if it's not we need that's how we need to check and say lord i want to be fully devoted i'm ready to purge get rid of wreck trash turn something into a wasteland if need be amen and in the fourth and final thing it says in the scripture verse 13 Titus 2:13 says while we look forward to the hope that the wonderful day wait while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great god and savior Jesus Christ will be revealed Amen. That's how we should live in this evil world. The phrase will be revealed translates to a prominent Greek phrase in letters to both Timothy and Titus. That means epiphany or appearing. When he says that, that that great day, whenever Christ our God and Savior will be revealed, he means will appear. The epiphany, the revelation of Christ. What that means in layman's terms is the sky's gonna crack open and everybody's gonna see Jesus. Amen? He's coming back to get his bride. He's, we, we look forward to that day with hope. It's awesome how, you know, we should always be looking forward with hope to that day. And as we look at our times again, talking to mother, people, I was talking to my brother Jeremy the other day and he was like, man, this thing is, is wrapping up. Is this, is getting close? Most people say that and think that, you know, and, and it's true, but we look forward, whether, whether things were good or things keep getting worse, which they, It looks like that's the direction it's going. That should give us even greater hope, right? We look it's great as the hope that listen. This life is not all that there is. This thing could crumble tomorrow. You know what? I mean, I was talking to somebody that's in finance today, and it was like, "Man, have you looked at Greece?" And like, what? I'm I'm not. I'm not going to go into all that. We have hope when the world looks hopeless. It's. Paul encourages Titus, and all through the epistles, you can see him saying, he says, I forget what lies on, I press on what lies ahead. Paul's always looking forward. I talked about that a few weeks ago. Paul had an eternal perspective, always looking forward, live with, with wisdom, righteousness, devotion, and look forward to the hope of Jesus coming back. And I love this because this is one of the few places in the New Testament where Jesus Christ is called God outright. He said to our great, put that back up again, Doug, if you don't mind. He says, we look forward with hope to our great God and Savior. Amen. That's one of the few places where it's outright, where there's some people I know have maybe come try to knock on your door and argue with you that Jesus is not God. Point them to those scriptures, which actually, that's a futile argument because they'll, they'll have a, their own Bible to say something different. But Jesus is our God, right? He says, we just sang it. He made it clear. He says, I am the great I am. They said, who are you? He says, I am. What Jesus was saying is, I am God. I am the, the same God of Abraham that you've been worshiping. We look forward to our great God and Savior. Y'all, y'all with me? Why don't you stand up with me? The last verse in that, in that passage says this. He gave us life to free us from every sin, of every kind of sin, to cleanse us and make us his very own people, totally committed to good deeds, totally committed to good deeds, let's pray every head bowed, every eye closed. Two questions for tonight, as we wrap it up. Paul encourages us to live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, devotion to God, and looking forward with hope to that day when Jesus Christ will be revealed to us in the whole world. So in verse fourteen, he wraps it up by saying, "He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin." Let me ask you a question. Are you free from sin and have you been cleansed by the Lord Jesus tonight? When I say, are you free from sin? I don't mean, are you free from ever sinning again? Like I said, that's impossible. We won't ever stop sinning till we get to heaven. What I mean by, are you free? What what Paul was saying is, are you free from the burden of sin? Are you free from the guilt of sin? Are you free from the shame of sin? If you're not, The Lord Jesus came. He died, as he said, to free us and to cleanse us, to make us his very own people. Tonight, if you say, Brandon, every head bowed, every eye closed, if you don't mind, you say, Brandon, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like I've been cleansed of my sins. I don't know if I've ever been cleansed by Jesus. Cleansed with what? With his blood. He died on the cross for us as sinners. And that blood that was shed over 2,000 years ago on Calvary cleanses and frees us from our sin because he is gracious. And he wants to forgive us and make us his very own people. So whatever every head bottom every eye closed, you said, Brandon, I, don't, I feel like I'm still under the weight of sin. I've never been forgiven. Tonight, I need to get right. I want to be cleansed. If that's you, just lift up your hand. Let me see your hand. Is anybody in here? I see your hand, ma'am. I see your hand. Anybody else? Right here, sir. Anyone else? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. See your hand back here. Anybody else? Say, man, I need to be cleansed. I need to be forgiven. I want to be born again. I want to be one of God's people. Okay, all of y'all that raised your hands, come on. Let's pray. If you believe that, if you believe Jesus died for your sins to forgive you, pray this prayer with me and the whole church is going to pray together. Say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. Lord, I ask that you would forgive me of my sin. Lord, I pray that you would free me from my sin. Lord, cleanse me today. Make me whole. Lord Jesus, I make you my Lord and Savior. I pledge my allegiance to you. I surrender my life and my heart to you. Lord Jesus, I give you my all tonight. Now, Lord, give me the grace and give me the strength to live for you each and every day. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen and amen. Come on, give God glory. Yes. Yes. Hey, for those of y'all that raised your hands, do me a favor. We're gonna dismiss in about a minute. If y'all wouldn't mind, come down to the altar. I'd love to meet y'all. We have a gift for y'all. We want to pray with y'all. Please come down here. We, me, myself, Pastor Kelly, Pastor Rob, my wife, uh, ma'am. We'd love to meet you and pray with you. And and before you leave, for for everyone else, the last part of that it says totally committed to doing good deeds. So going back to that righteousness and and that and that devotion to God, living in wisdom. Are you committed tonight? Are you you totally surrendered? I I, Actually, that word commitment replaced the word surrendered in the English language just a little over 50 years ago. I don't know if you knew that. So come on, let's, if if, if not, let's just pray. Let's all pray as we leave, all the believers, the the church of God tonight, and say, Lord, we want to live this way. Lord, we know this world is becoming increasingly evil. And Lord, tonight we saw clear instruction of how we are supposed to live, Lord, with wisdom, with righteousness, devoted, surrendered to you, and like God, looking with that hope. Lord, I thank you that to everybody tonight, I pray that everybody has that hope now. Of Lord, you that the Epiphany of Christ, the revealing the, of, of you coming back, taking your bride, Lord God, and us being with you in eternity. Lord, give us the grace, give us the strength, Holy Spirit, to live that life in self control in a sober way, Father, each and every day, that you would be glorified, or that people would see Christ living in us as we live each and every day. We be sure to give you the glory and the honor in Jesus Christ, wonderful and mighty name. We pray, and everybody said, "Amen," and "Amen."